Hey everybody and welcome back to the Unexpressed Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastop.com. I'm your host Mark Kalaroff and today is a tad different from the usual episode of Unexpressed because Cameron and Campbell are actually not with me here today. Our normal trio episode will of course air later this week, but right now I do have a very special guest being the game director of Neon White. Ben, can you introduce yourself? Howdy, uh, I'm Ben Esposito. I'm uh, an independent game designer. Uh, I kind of was the director of Neon White, and previously I made a game called Donut County in 2018. This is my latest project. So Ben, Neon White is currently the sixth highest rated Switch game of 2020 on Metacritic, so congratulations. Currently has an 85 for the Switch version, 88 for the PC version. So I have to ask you right off the bat... um, you went from a game about a selfish raccoon who is comically creating donuts on the ground to fix his problems. What made you want to jump from the goofiness of Donut County to Neon White's more melancholy outlook and more grounded philosophies? Oh, you know, I finished Donut County and I was really happy with how it came out. Um, but... I kind of felt like I there was like this whole other world of games that I was really passionate about when I was a kid that I just like have totally not even dipped my toes into into making. So after Donut County, what I really wanted to do was like tap into my first person shooter like middle school days where I was playing Counter-Strike surf maps and Team Fortress classic jump maps. And I wanted to like see if I could kind of challenge myself to make a game that had like a completely different energy, totally different audience, but was still something that I was like super, super passionate about when I was a teenager. So on the topic of audience, actually, perfect transition into my next question. Uh, last year, you had an interview with Game Informer where you explained that Neon White was going to target a cult audience. And in this interview... You said it was very much a game, and I quote, if it is for you, then it's your favorite game. And now that Neon White is out in the public's hands, do you still believe that that sentiment rings true? (laughs) I totally 100,000% stand by it. Uh, It's like, because, I mean, yeah, you know about the game. It's like a first-person shooter, but it's also a visual novel, and it has this, like, super anime aesthetic, and it's got these, like awesome breakcore, you know, soundtrack elements. And Mm -hmm. it's things that don't necessarily um, work together traditionally. It's not something people have combined traditionally. And that was kind of the thing that we thought was really fun about this game was like, we're not going to try to appeal to everyone in any way. We're going to just put the things that we really like together and we'll make them work and you're going to have to trust us. And so, yeah, I totally stand by it. If it, if all of those elements sound cool to you, then this game should be like, you know, 
this this game should be something special. Because I have to honestly tell you, uh, walking into this game, I was always interested in it because of the whole stylization going on. But I'm not that big into runners, and I'm especially not too big into anime. But I gave this game the highest rating that we give on the site, which is essential. <laughs> so it was clearly, it really reached with me. It just constantly pulled me in from all the trailers from the you know the nintendo directs that they had and just all your presentations at different um cons and stuff like that it just it absolutely just hooked me the whole way through that's i'm so glad to hear that that's awesome and yeah i think maybe that's just a side effect of our team like really committing to what we wanted to do and like being totally confident and doing something kind of weird and stupid and i've I think people are responding really well to that, mm -hmm. even if it wasn't their like thing to begin with. So Neon White's shining aspect as a first person runner comes from two things, and that's the godlike powers called soul cards and then the stylistic approach to visuals. But in regards to the implementation of soul cards, was the team eager on making Neon White a game where or players are given as much freedom as possible? Or were you more interested in creating linear paths? Or was there a mix behind that? Yeah, so we kind of approached it in a slightly counterintuitive way. So I think a lot of shooters and, you know, really like high mobility shooters like Doom and stuff now, they're all about giving you a big suite of tools to accomplish, you know, a goal in whatever way you want to accomplish it. And I f personally find it like way too overwhelming when I'm in a situation where I have like, 32 guns and they could all probably do a decent job and I have to pick. I tend to pick the the one that uses the least amount of ammo so that I can save it for the boss. <laughs> um, so the I, philosophy behind Neon White was about providing really interesting constraints to the player. So like you can't accrue too much power in this game. Like at any given point, you can only have six cards total and, you know, there's never even a need to use six cards at a time. So we really wanted to create a game where the action was really clear, the resources were really scarce, and the constraints that it puts on you cause you to kind of think about the game in a little bit more of a puzzle way than just like a fast reaction, you know, first person shooter way. And that's that's kind of like where we came up with the idea of speedrunning is like speedrunning is kind of a puzzle in a way once you get to a certain high level like it's all about looking at what resources are available in the level and using them in, in maybe counterintuitive ways yeah referring to puzzles definitely perfectly cap i mean it perfectly captivates just the whole game in general especially when in terms of level design and i've been looking at so many players now that the game's out on twitter and do you find it mind-blowing or have you seen something that's just like a strategy that's so out there that not even you or the development team thought of when designing some of these levels. Oh my God. There's like conceptual ones that are just like, I, when we created this level, like we didn't even consider you doing it backwards or, you know, like you just, from the beginning, you can jump towards the end and like, you know, shoot a million mm. rockets. Like that's kind of stuff we didn't plan for, but the thing, a good example of something that we totally did not intend for is we have this mechanic that's not explained in the game, but if you shoot an enemy bullet or if you use your katana to swipe an enemy projectile, it'll give you a slight speed boost. Mm -hmm. 
and this is something you kind of can figure out on your own if you're poking around. Um, and we're like, oh, cool, this will be for more high-level players to exploit. You know, every bullet is a potential to go faster. And one of the things that totally surprised us was the first card you get launches like a essentially a grenade, and then it blows up, and you can use it to bounce off of. Um, but we didn't realize that you could also parry your own bullet that you shot into the world. And so all of a sudden, like the mo like one of the most common movement techniques is you shoot the grenade and then you hit it with your katana and jump and you go flying. It just blew my mind. I put like 20 hours into this game and I didn't even know that. That's incredible. Yeah, right. Like, and we, we never ask you to do that. It's That's the kind of stuff that like... We could, we tried to plan for it and it was like way wackier than we ever anticipated. I was going to say my example was going to be with the Book of Life missions towards the end of the game where you get an ability that could just launch you towards an enemy in the distance. And I found some strategies mm -hmm. to basically skip like half the entire level, just zooming across. And I was like, <laughs> this is so clever how there's just like a tiny little gap. And it's just like, if you just spot the enemy, you can just fly through. Yeah, that I got to admit that one has been like we we watched some people play those levels and we were just like beside ourselves cuz like <laughs> you can skip way more than we ever intended. But that's kind of the fun, right? Is like feeling like you got away with something that we didn't even expect mm. you would. No, a lot of runners these days I feel like are getting a bit too linear and restricted, but Neon White, you guys made a game that goes all out on just being non-linear. Because like you said, there are ways to essentially complete levels backwards if you can figure out the way or skip portions of the entire level while still taking out every single enemy. And I just find it brilliant mm -hmm. that uh, you guys managed to craft these levels and abilities to work that way, even if it was unintentional. <laughs> yeah we could take like some credit but you know a lot of it goes to the runners mm -hmm. so every outlet who has been reviewing and covering neon white has utilized one word about it which is stylish which this game has it is soaked in style it's really lovely just to see how well it runs on switch but neon white clearly blends a lot together you have some more minimalistic graphics you uh, during the gameplay there's highly detailed characters there's persona-esque visual novel art and so on so what were your main inspirations in terms of the art direction and in terms of Donut County, your last game, which used a more minimalistic uh, palette, did that at all inspire Neon White? That's a great question. Uh, so when it comes to like the Donut County connection, I think there you could definitely see a through line in terms of like me being really preoccupied with super simple and clear visuals for gameplay and making sure like when details are placed somewhere, it's really intentional to draw your attention and we don't put detail anywhere that it would distract you or, you know, cause you to ever get confused when you're playing. So that minimalist kind of approach is definitely something that I carry with me. But when it comes to the game more broadly, the whole art style, um, you know, something we wanted to do with this game was make a make the most video gamey game that we could make and to me the most video gamey era that like really hooked me was like the late 90s and early 2000s like really stylish japanese games that were getting localized in the states and so i you know one reference point that um people we i've talked about a little bit and it's not a really direct reference at all in terms of the game but um, grasshopper manufacturer games like uh, Killer7 or No More Heroes have 
we didn't really take any of their like specific stylizations, but their whole attitude of being kind of like style over substance in certain cases is something that we like really wanted to tap into because like the whole point is that we're just so confident that this game is going to be cool that we can do really silly things that are over the top and like that will that kind of like over the top confidence is going to like maybe be a little bit like funny and cringe to you but you can't deny that it's like if we throw a million cool things at you it'll be kind of cool <laughs> so in terms of the uh, the individual missions did you have a particular favorite because i noticed that the game jumps between stuff like art deco and gothic horror and there's just all sorts of visual um themes in between each mission but did you have a favorite let's see i think um I think the late stage missions um, that take place in an environment called Heaven's Edge that are kind of like this cotton candy, pink and purple skyscrapers in the clouds aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like really, really happy with how that turned out um, as kind of a contrast to the you know, basic setup of the game where it starts and you're in this like, you know, uh, kind of like a Las Vegas, you know, ancient Greece inspired heaven where it's blue and white and you know it's kind of like way over the top but still kind of what you'd expect and then the way we were able to pull off this kind of like weird um like overly posh kind of like unfinished skyscraper world that had these kind of like neon -y colors um, I'm super happy with the art for that and I also was really excited to do that kind of stuff late in the game because we could make the level so much more vertical and they could just feel so different than walking around on you know little platforms and stuff so being able to bring in that diversity was really exciting to me so we've talked about a lot about style and gameplay but one thing in my review that i specifically highlighted was the story which I really, really love the story of this game. But Neon White's story is focused on the afterlife and belief in God. And even though the game is very much in a fictional world, uh, was the development team at all worried about the narrative focus and how it could affect the overall appeal of the game? How do you mean exactly? Well, in the past, we've obviously seen, you know, like basic example, but you know, in the eighties and nineties, how Nintendo would cut religious aspects out of certain games, like even Konami with Castlevania, how the original games were littered with like crosses and a lot of stuff related to Christianity because they thought it would push audiences away. So I was curious, you know, with a religious focus in a sense with the afterlife and God and reviving God, would there be any pushback? That's not something we were concerned about because I guess on one hand, we're such a teeny tiny team that like, if we make someone mad, it doesn't like mean anything. <laughs> we're nobody. <laughs> uh, so it's not like uh, someone's going to ban, you know, Nintendo or whatever for making a game with crosses in it. Um, but on the other hand, like something that made me more confident was that our treatment of the religious material is like kind of flippant it seems really flippant and it seems really like we don't care about this and we're kind of being really disrespectful but mm -hmm. i think the overall tone of it is actually like more respectful than you'd think and like the idea that it is kind of like a 
about God in a way and your relationship to God um, made me feel like, you know what, like, even if this might rub someone the wrong way, if they give it a chance, they're absolutely going to like be able to get something out of it other than like us making fun of religion because that's not what we were doing Mm -hmm. and there definitely is respect towards religion and i especially love the details in this game which i won't spoil it but at the end of the game i noticed that there is a blend of hebrew writing into the uh the characters names at a certain point (laughs) Uh which i thought was extremely clever and i feel like no one will really uh pick up on that unless of course if they're aware of uh, the hebrew language Yeah, there's a lot of little things like that. And there's kind of like big ideas behind the whole thing that we just haven't talked about because I don't think it's really important to appreciating the game. And it's also not like what I wanted the conversation to be about. It's supposed to be a fun game. But like if you notice certain Mm -hmm. details and you get something else out of them, that's that's really great. And then the other highlight to the story is, of course, the voice cast, which the one who steals the show, as you know, is Steve Bloom, or Steve Blum, sorry if I mispronounce his name. He's he, um, amazing. He's just incredible, and I love his performance, and especially uh, Spike Spiegel in Cowboy Bebop, but when you were able, first of all, was there a story behind bringing him on board the project? <laughs> the story is very simple. It's that Geneva, my, my wife, who's kind of my creative partner, she was coming up with, like, here's the list of you know, references for who we would want White to sound like, the main character. And the top of the list was Steve Bloom because we had this like idea of like, oh, this is going to be kind of like an early 2000s anime dub. Mm-hmm. And when we thought of that, the first person we thought of was Steve Bloom because like, you know, Cowboy obviously, Bebop. <laughs> yeah, Cowboy Bebop's huge influence. Um, but also he's like a ridiculously talented and diverse voice actor. So we were like, um, we probably can't get him, but let's put him at the top of the list for references. Someone who sounds like that. And so we kind of like, we're trying to fill out that list with other voices. And the more we thought about it, the more we were just like, is it possible to get him? Like, <laughs> can we just call him? Like, is it's not crazy, right? And so we reached out and he, it turns out he was like very excited about the concept and the role. And, you know, he was able to bring a really fun dimension to that character. Like he loved how white was like both a really cool like you know demon slaying badass but he's actually underneath like a huge nerd so when you brought him on board did his performance at all perhaps change the script knowing that you would be able to utilize an actor like that (laughs) uh honestly it didn't change it dramatically because that was a little bit of the voice that we had already imagined it to sound like so he it was more that he brought an extra dimension to the writing that we put in the script like his he he kind of like leaned way harder into those kind of like elements of vulnerability in white that than we even expected and i think that is kind of what makes it more fun and it's like yeah you know you might think white's kind of a bit of a wimp actually but like that's what's endearing about it to us and steve was really excited to to bring that side of him so was there any characters or lore that didn't make it into the final product that you have in mind? We have, we had other ideas for like neons and, and which are like the, the demon slayers. Mm. Um, we found that like, we didn't really need to introduce a lot more because we felt like we were already like kind of maxing out the amount of 
story bandwidth that the game could support. So like, you know, you start a mission and there's three different conversations that happen and we felt like we're that's more than enough to give you, you know, the context and the story that pe so people could like like the characters and, you know, understand the lore and the plot. So we ended up kind of stripping out a bunch of other ideas because the main cast was pretty tight and we found focusing on the connections between the main cast and their past relationships was way more interesting ultimately than introducing a ton of superfluous characters who might be, you know, fun archetypes. There's plenty more archetypes we could use that would be really fun, but we wanted to focus on that, like, you know, small cast. In regards to the uh, the memories in the game, which for those who are listening who don't know, in Neon White, you unlock memories, which gives White's um, insight into his past. But were there specific ideas in saying this memory shouldn't be in the main campaign itself, and perhaps these all need to be separated for players to unlock? Yeah, that was kind of important because we wanted to kind of offer the opportunity for someone to like beat the game without going, you know, super, super deep into optional content that, you know, they don't necessarily need in order to understand the plot. But the fun of it to us was like, we want you to get invested in the story and understand like, oh, I really want to know what, why, what my connection to these other characters is. Um, and so we found like it ended up being a lot more satisfying if it was like self-motivated to figure out like the actual backstory. And so that's why the game has kind of like two endings. And if you don't have the memories, you'll get one ending. But if you do, there's a different one. And we thought like having that motivation to kind of do it yourself and go the extra mile made it feel a lot more meaningful when you did get them. And it kind of gave you that extra clarity because then it really justifies the kind of like quote true ending of the game mm -hmm. so unlocking these memories in the game you have to collect gifts that are in every single level when you were designing levels did you immediately have in mind that outside of the purpose of speed running to collect medals we were going to be implementing these gifts so at first it was we didn't really have that concept but as we went on um we found that there was like a lot of kind of more puzzly gameplay that we wanted to do, but it was kind of, we found it was at odds with like the fun of going really fast through these levels. And like, you know, we just found like anytime we made someone stop and think uh, we lost them, like they, they're not going to have any fun. So what we ended up doing was implementing the gifts, which are basically once you beat a level, you can search that level and there'll be one, you know, floating gift somewhere hidden or it's not hidden, but it's hard to get to. And you have to kind of totally rethink how you use the cards resources in the level to get to that particular spot. And so we found like we were able to do the puzzle gameplay that we wanted in a way that didn't stop you from enjoying the speed of the game. And so that was kind of like the way we were able to marry the two and then tying that into, you know, getting to know the other characters just seemed really natural as a result of that. So that's why we kind of tied this whole idea of like the deeper you go on the level, the more, you know, it feeds into understanding the character relationships better. So I have to ask this because we are a Nintendo podcast after all, but Neon White was built for the Nintendo Switch. Why did you choose this console in particular? 
So this game is, so, uh, okay, yeah. So you're asking this because it's a first person shooter and it's yes. like a precision <laughs> platformer speed running game, which is super unlikely, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the reason why we chose this platform is because there's like a few. The, the main one is because the way you're actually supposed to enjoy the game is like in super, super bite-sized pieces. So if you haven't played the game, a level can take anywhere from, you know, two minutes, but way more likely it'll take like 10 seconds. And that kind of um, gameplay where you're not just meant to clear the levels, you're meant to replay them over and over and over again, we felt like was a really, really good fit for the switch especially like in handheld mode where you're kind of like picking it up and you want to play for a few minutes um and you know you might get sucked in more than that but uh having the handheld mode and having the gyro and all those kind of like little nice quality of life things means that like i want to play it more because <laughs> i don't have to boot it up on you know i don't have to have a whole start of time you know like it's really it's something that felt really at home when you considered the like way you're supposed to enjoy the game, which is in small little chunks. Mm. There's two aspects of the Nintendo Switch that we always talk about with games on this podcast. And the one is how it runs and does it have multiplayer? So first off with how it runs, uh, when targeting 60 frames per second, was that like the ideal goal of Neon White? Like this game had to be 60 frames per second. And did that impact the art style and perhaps certain elements of the game? Like how much was going on in each level? Hmm. So <laughs> we had designed a lot of the game before we fully committed to 60 frames a second. And so the decision to say we can't ship with less than 60 frames a second was a very expensive one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was really important because once we were really playing it on the Switch, we could like toggle between 30 and 60. And the difference was just so noticeable. And in a game that really asks you to be precise and to have a really fine degree of control like it felt unfair to ask you to do that at 30 frames a second because when it runs at 60 you feel like more in control of your actions and so yeah we once we made that decision we essentially had to like rebuild a lot of the art in the game oh interesting we rebuilt like all the materials for all of the worlds so they kind of look the same but they look a little different and you know, I always take the opportunity when we do have to redo something to kind of like refine it and make it better than it was. So I'm actually really happy with the art style and how everything ended up looking. But yeah, it was it was definitely a challenge to, um, you know, try to hit that target in all these different situations. But the game itself was already kind of well suited to being fairly constrained and we kind of always know what could be happening in any given moment. So it, there was a lot of advantages to when we went into that fight for 60. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you're a person who mostly tackles the single player experiences, but um, this game has a lot of multiplayer elements in a sense with the leaderboards and just checking with friends or checking globally. And I have to ask, did you guys ever consider implementing like a two player co-op multiplayer? You know, we really have never discussed it. Like it was the origin of the game. The reason why we even made it was because, you know, we had this concept of cards and the prototype wasn't really working and we just really, we did, it wasn't that fun. It was randomized cards would get drawn and 
it wasn't until we stripped everything out and we said like this is going to be a single player game that has cards that are in very specific positions and the levels are pre-authored and you know i'm i made a build of that and i sent it to my friend and my friend tom and tom sent me back a list of his best times for every single level and i was like oh i could totally beat you and so we ended up like back and forth trading our times over and over again and we were like oh this experience is really fun and unique to like not be playing together at the same time but to be like competing with one another asynchronously and that's why we were like oh the leaderboards are super super important because fighting your friends specifically is like extremely fun to get like 0.1 seconds faster so we haven't we haven't discussed the multiplayer but um you know who who knows i don't know what would it what would it be like to you what i was thinking was something like a portal situation where perhaps one person plays as white and then one person plays as red and then red oh. has to do like some sniping but then white's doing the usual rushing just bear rushing through the entire level Oh my god, like, so you have to be in concert with one another to, like, make sure, like, certain things are happening at certain times. Oh, I think that would be... There you go. <laughs> that sounds dope. I like it. So, um, since this is coming to Nintendo Switch, I... Everybody at the website was, uh, asking me this. Is Neon White gonna get a physical release? I don't even know if you can comment on that, but, uh... Um, it's something that I think would be really cool. But, yeah, we haven't, we haven't, like, even started discussing that so yeah i can say like it's something that i think would be really awesome but you know we, we don't have any plan concrete plans just yet and then do you have any other merchandise plans with like fan gamer i am 8-bit or anything like that that's again something that we're just starting to talk about gotcha. but i would love to um you know do some physical merchandise mm. and the soundtrack also i really would love to do some kind of special release of because i'm really happy with how that came out on this podcast we love like vinyls and stuff like that but my pitch is if you're going to make a physical it should include like little keychains or replicas of the mask Ooh, i like I that think that'd be really sick so uh the jump from donut county to neon white was quite significant in terms of game design whereas donut county adhered to like a minimalistic philosophies and a simple pastel visual style neon white is extremely stylized and undoubtedly dips into more complicated layers of game design so are you going to aim higher with your next project or do you think neon white establishes a line between creating these complex titles and doing perhaps something more simplistic with storytelling Mm. Yeah, I so the way I kind of viewed it was like I wanna I wanna see what the total other end of the spectrum feels like and I wanna hone my skills in the area of game design and I just wanna do things that I haven't done before that I feel like no one else is gonna do. So that's like that's how I'm picking what games I'm gonna make. Um so I would say I put down two data points, like Donut County is one data point, like all ages, you know, super easy to pick up. Mm. You can't even fail in that game. And then <laughs> Neon White is like a totally different plot on that graph of like, you know, super edgy, you know, speed running, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so, you know, my next project will probably be somewhere like equally distant from both of those things. Uh, because that's just like, I just want to be challenged. I want to figure out, you know, what else hasn't been done that, you know, I think I could, uh, I could forge some fun new ground on. Mm -hmm. 
So you're, you're very much a person. I didn't even know this before I went to interview you, but you've jumped between writing and DJing and game design, all sorts of stuff. But for Angel Matrix, this group you brought together to develop Neon White, is this a future studio for you, perhaps? Or is this just a one-time get-together? So Angel Matrix is kind of a one shot for this project. It's uh, I, I would compare it like to like a super group of musicians where it's like we came gotcha. together and made one album. Like people <laughs> who are just awesome at what they do got together, made an album, and then we said, "All right, peace. We're gonna go do something else." So this. Yeah, that was kind of how the team was conceived. And, you know, I love working with everybody on this team. So I'm definitely going to be working with people from it again. But, you know, I think the actual, like, team structure, it's not a studio. It's more just, like, an awesome group of artists that came together for this project. The other night, it's funny, I actually went crazy because I was like, you guys got to have a website or something. And I was trying to look through everything. And then I saw that the Twitter list of uh, of everyone involved is there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because they should do more. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's so many talented people. They are so awesome. So I'm, I'm, I feel, I'm really happy with that. We could even get everyone together to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure asking you about neon white DLC is obviously a bit uh, too early at this point in the game for you. I need to take a nap first. <laughs> well, I will ask you this then. You don't usually return to game worlds you create. But considering how many talents you have, would you consider doing a neon white anime, possibly? 100,000% yes. Because <laughs> you've worked at Cartoon Network in the past, so I thought it would be interesting. Maybe you jump to like Adult Swim, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my, my wife, Geneva, who's kind of like my co-creator, she's like a cartoonist and a director, and she is just awesome at directing animation. And, you know, we would absolutely love and we kind of conceived of this idea from the beginning as something that felt like an anime so if we could get the opportunity to do that we would jump on it (laughs) for sure and the reason i asked this is because i 100 percent of the game and i just absolutely loved it but i was sad because there's not you know more which uh (laughs) go make (laughs) (laughs) i would like uh if we could like actually go deeper on into the characters and the backstories and stuff that would be such a blast i think i think there's potential for a anime or a comic book or you know something around those lines that would be really cool but uh do you have any final message to our viewers um even if neon white doesn't look like it's for you If your friends are playing it, you should try it. I absolutely agree. (laughs) (laughs) So that about wrap it up here. Ben, thank you so much for being on our show. It's a pleasure. We absolutely, we've behind the scenes, Campbell, Cameron, and I, we've all been literally competing, like you said before, for the leaderboards, which Cameron (laughs) texted me early this morning and he was like, I beat you on mission three and i was like oh that'll that'll change tonight (laughs) oh my god that's exactly how you're supposed to play (laughs) but i've been your host mark kelleroff of course you can find me at the markel on instagram and twitter right now over on goombastop.com you can check out my writing for neon white of course i have my review of the game and shortly i'll have an ending explained
Land piece if you want to dive deeper into some of the uh, hidden details about it. But uh, if you want to find more about the Unexpressed Nintendo podcast, of course, you can follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, all your favorite streaming platforms. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me uh, at Torahorse, T-O-R-A-H, horse on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Torahorse.com is my website. I'm that. That's my name everywhere. So just just put it in the search bar, I guess. And while you're mentioning it, they, they should check out uh, Donut County. The, uh, the viewers because I it's funny I played that game for the first time last week and I just I was like oh, I'll complete it in a few sittings and then I sat down for two straight hours and blew through it <laughs> oh my god that's great so you're creating addicting games and again congratulations on the high praise and Metacritic scores and I'm sure we'll uh, be hearing from you in uh, the near future thanks I appreciate it and I'm, I'm super glad that you, you dug the game this was a blast to chat with you Thank you so much, and we'll catch you later this week, where we'll be reviewing quite a few games with Campbell and Cameron, so we'll be back soon. Bye.